0: Good morning. We have already prayed. Uh, Judah prayed to begin our meeting, and so the only thing I would add is one of my prayers this morning is that every person here who's willing and hungry would hear something that would spark in them interest to look further or just become light to them. Something that maybe they've heard a hundred times before, but today would become, I got it. So, that's my prayer behind the scenes. And what I would start, like to start this morning is, actually, I'm continuing with Judah's theme of spiritual warfare. Um, but this morning, I, so in continuing with where he has been teaching, I'm just carrying on from there. The title this morning is, Rules and Terms. And I say that because there are some things that I believe are essential, foundational-type facts and truths that need to be understood for us to know how to walk in the, in the world we live in. We live in a pretty rugged time. And that's why spiritual warfare is so uh, relevant. It is a relevant thought. It was a relevant thought in the scriptures, and it is just as relevant today. And so I want to go through some things that I believe are essential for us to be successful, to live successfully in this warfare. And so much of what was already shared through Walsa and Rosie and Judah this morning tie in perfectly to what we're going to be discussing this morning. And Some of these things you may have heard, and some things I may say things that you never in your life have ever heard. And um, one thing that I am, I have a question, and I'm not certain, but I wonder if my generation has done a good job of passing on truth to the next generation. And that's a concern of mine. And so I'm not going to shy away from the most simple thing. So the, the, simplest, the simpler it is to me doesn't mean you know it. It doesn't mean it's simple to you. Uh, the other thing that I'm finding just in my observation is that we have a lot of information available to us. Bob went through the s- stats of social media, how many minutes people spend on Facebook and Instagram and all that, Twitter. We can Google anything. But more information does not mean more knowledge. And there are things that the men in the Scriptures understood and practiced that we don't understand today. They had things that we don't get. And sometimes we read things in the Scripture, and because we understand the English words, we think we got it. But we don't have a clue to what they were talking about. But we think we do. The problem, and this is warfare, this is an element of warfare, is if I'm your enemy and I can redefine the terms so that you think you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you aren't, and it's not working for you, so you end up thinking God doesn't work. The Bible doesn't work. It's very subtle. But if I can redefine terms so that I'm convinced I, I, I'm convinced, or you're convinced you're doing what you're supposed to, but it's not, and so it's not working and it's not fruitful, the warfare element is intended to get you to think God does not work. So let's change the rules of the game so that you're all mixed up so that you think you're doing what you're supposed to, it's not working, it's not happening, and you don't know why. So who ends up getting the blame? God. And then Christians become confused, and that's the day we live in, right now. So I want to start this morning by reading a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it's going to be 1 Samuel uh, 30 verses 1 to 9, and then I'm going to jump to verses 18 to 20. I'm going to skip some of the details. And to give a little background, David is a man, he was a shepherd boy in Israel, but he had a heart after God, and God picked him to be the next king. But he wasn't the king yet. But he gained fame as a warrior with King Saul. But King Saul became jealous because he began to see people singing David's praises. David was famous. David was successful. It was obvious that the Lord was with David and the Lord was not with Saul anymore. And Saul became jealous and began to chase David and try to kill him. So David is living in the wilderness, running for his life. But because he has some fame, some element of notoriety, he has people that have gathered around him. He has a small army, about 600 people, but sometimes when you're on the run, you don't attract the best characters. You attract the criminals, the thugs, the less than, uh, less than desirable people, so not everybody in his army were noble, and David is living in the wilderness, running from Saul with his small band. Uh, he goes to live with the Philistines because he's, fear, he's afraid for his life in Israel, and the Philistines also don't trust him. So he goes to fight with the Philistines, but the Philistines say, no, we don't want you on our side. Go back home. So he goes back home, and they, he and his people are living in a little town called Ziklag, and that's where we pick up this, uh, this part of the account. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive, Stop. Think about it for a minute. This is, pretty, this is pretty heavy. This is pretty intense. When you come, you don't know the state, but all you know is all your loved ones and many possessions have been taken. So if you want to talk about stress, if you want to talk about trouble, David's in the middle of it right now. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened. I'll stop for a minute. (laughs) But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now think about it. Not only have you lost people dear to you, but all the people now blame you. It's your fault. So now, in addition to all the trouble he's had so far, now his own men are talking about stoning him because he got them into this jam. Let me just finish with this because this is key. Remember Judah was uh, speaking to us last week, in the last couple of weeks out of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the schemes of the devil. These Ephesians and this passage, I am marrying them together because they're talking about the same thing. Okay, so I'm just going to start with, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord, said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will rescue all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those left behind remained. Now we're going to jump a little bit. And in verse 18, after a series of, he encountered some people along the way, and they said, yeah, we've seen these people. We know where they're at. Uh, The one man said, if you won't kill me, I'll show you where the guys are camped. So David said, we won't kill you. So the man showed them where the guys, the bandits, had camped, and they were living at ease. No one was chasing them. They had been successful. They were fat cats. They were just all over this region, completely unprepared. So David and his men went down and slaughtered them all, except for 400 men who escaped on camels. Now, David only has 600 guys. He killed them all except 400. Like, almost like, oh yeah, a few got away. So David, here's the summary. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves, David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock, and they said, This is David's spoil. Is that the last verse? I think it is. Okay, so in this account, first off, hopefully you can imagine the situation that it was intense. You can't afford to get get this wrong. Your family, your wives, your children, your sons, your daughters, everything you own has been taken, kidnapped, taken into slavery. Who knows what's going to happen to them? Sold, misused. This is David's situation. But on top of that, his men have now turned against him. So David did something called, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, it might be nice for us to start this morning by saying, I don't know what that means, and I don't know what he did. That would be helpful. Because otherwise, if we just think, oh yeah, he just... He just did what? He just did something that caused him, in the midst of all of this noise... To hear clearly the Lord say, go, overtake, recover all. And there was nothing in him that said, was that the Lord or was that just me? He was that clear. So sometimes what I like to do is, even though I know things, sometimes it's good for me to say, you know what, I don't think I know what he did. But I want to learn. That's a humility of, I don't want to ignore that God's not given us stuff, but not given me truths, but I want to lay hold of what this is. This strengthening himself in the Lord that can cause everything to be set aside and him to be in a place to hear what God says. So, that's our... That's the verse that we're going to work towards this morning. But I want to take a couple of steps back now just to build a little bit of a picture. Um, Because we've already had this idea this morning in the song we sang and in the exhortation from Rosie and also with Judah of this walls. The walls that we build. What do you mean, Donovan? What do you mean, what's the wall you build? What's the wall you've put up? You don't look expanded in your middle section, so that I think he's been eating bricks. We're talking about thoughts. You and I live by thoughts, you don't live without your thoughts. The battle, the nature of the battle that we're in on a daily basis, is the battle, the handling of our thoughts what we do with our mind. Lord, tear down the walls I built up, the walls I built up, the walls of thoughts that I say within myself, I'm not good enough, he won't hear me, I can't break through. And let me say another thing, we are very loud. One of the biggest things we deal with on a regular basis is the noise in our mind that makes it difficult to hear what the Lord is saying to us. And that's deliberate. That's part of what warfare is. Warfare is for the mind and for the thoughts. Let me read you a terrible account in the Scriptures of one of the most devastating battles ever fought. Genesis 3, please. In Genesis 3, we're going to read the account of the slaughter of millions. And this is how it happened. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Eve and Adam are in the garden. He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree, trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Warfare. You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw, aha, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings and ran off and hid in the garden when they heard God coming. Why do I say this is, first off, I don't know if people generally view this as the most devastating battle in the scriptures because sin entered Adam and death through the sin, and it spread to every one of his children, which begat countless murders and horrors and atrocities throughout history. It entered through this gate, through this door. And it entered through a conversation. We typically do not call conversations battles, because we have conversations all the time. We have conversations with our mind, with ourselves. We have conversations with thoughts that we know aren't us. Do this, don't do that. Every element of our our life is an element of thought. You don't worry about your business without having thoughts. You don't think about divorce without first thoughts coming. You don't just magically end up in adultery. Thoughts. You don't just one day steal. My hand just did it. It wasn't me. My hand put that money in my pocket. It doesn't happen that way. Thoughts are behind all of the aspects of our life, and that is the realm. God needs your mind to work with you. The devil needs your mind to work with you. So every day. That's our every day. And the scriptures talk about and instruct and implicitly explain There are things that we are to do with our mind. Set your mind, the Scripture teaches. I'm not talking about this maybe next week, but I'm just going to make mention, and hopefully maybe something will catch your ear and you'll be be interested in looking, studying for yourself. I want to know about this. Direct your mind. Meditate. Meditate. Meditate is not silent. Oh, that's the little bone I'll throw out. Meditation is never silent. Meditation is always speaking. This idea of silent meditation is rare. And the men, the, the men in the Bible, the, the Abrahams, the Davids, the Jeremiahs, the Isaiahs, they wouldn't have known what you were doing if you were just sitting there and said you were meditating. You're like, well, why aren't your lips moving? Why aren't you talking? That's what meditation is. Meditation is you speaking, you soaking yourself in the Word of God. Being still. That's something that we have to practice and have to be trained in, but that's something that the men of God understood and knew historically, biblically. Job said, be still and know. The Lord said to Job, be still and know that I am God. Now, we live in a very difficult time, very difficult, and God is not afraid for you. He said, if you knew who you were, if you knew what you were, if you knew what benefits, what things were available to you, you would not be afraid. Hence the warfare. The devil is scared to death for people to find out what Jesus has done. The extent of it. That's why there's such heavy warfare. We cannot let them start to live in this salvation. We have to flood them with noise. So we have these ideas of set your mind, direct your mind, be still, meditate. We're going to talk about more of these things next week, but um, much to the distress of my wife and my son, this week I began watching YouTube videos of steel workers climbing girders. And the one video I watched, the man, he has to be attached. And Modern. This is modern. This isn't 1920. This is Early 2000s, probably, this steel worker is climbing this beam, a lone beam. And you can see the skyscrapers of New York below him. He's not up 50 feet. He's up hundreds, hundreds of feet. And he gets to the top of this girder, and there's a little part of it. He stands on it, and then they show the crane lowering this giant beam over to him. So he leans over to get this several-ton beam and pull it slowly to himself. And then he has this iron stick that he begins to line up the holes in the beam with the holes on the girder that he's standing on. Meanwhile, the, the camera then pans to another man who's in a similar situation except he has a beam that he can walk on. That didn't do my stomach any good. Now, I'm watching these two men struggle with this giant thing. I'm sure they're both tethered, but I can't see it. And they're struggling, two men, with a several-ton girder. And I keep saying, New York is down there. The big ones, the big buildings. You're looking at the top of the big buildings, and these guys are just working away. I notice my fist is clenched and my stomach is queasy. Now, I'm in Indiana, Pennsylvania, sitting on my couch. So part of me says, this is silly, so I watched it several times. And then just by way of experiment, I had my wife and my son watch it. And they're like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. (laughs) Because then we watched them set the spire on the top of the World Trade Center. And, oh, crazy, crazy. But these men have learned to set their mind. They're just like you and me. And there's nothing in me that says these men were great Christians. But they knew how to set their mind so that they could climb up thousands of feet and work like I would work here. If they can do it, we can do it. And if the Bible says, set your mind, it means you can. Mm-hmm. Correct. If the Bible says, direct your mind, it means you can. Don't tell him you can't. That's a wall. Wow. Oh, I can't do that. That's a wall. So, hopefully I've set the stage. This is where... So you, you may be able to recognize now that's the realm of my warfare. The other thing I would add is the devil. Michael, when the devil talks to you, he doesn't say, Michael, I'm the devil. I'm going to talk to you. He usually does this. Forgive me, people on camera. The devil usually will walk behind us and say, I cannot believe my wife. Doesn't she know what I'm going through? Now, this isn't Michael's talking, but the devil, if you do not understand that the devil does not play fair, he doesn't wear a black hat, he comes to talk to you as you. Man, if I was the son of God, I could turn this stone into bread. Isn't that tricky? But Jesus knew who it was because he had no qualms about him being the son of God. But if you don't understand that that's the realm of our warfare, many of the devilish thoughts are described as your own thoughts. Can you believe, Nate? I can't believe he did that. And here comes the fight. You might say, I don't even know where that thought came from. An enemy. An enemy does this. This is how things start. And then, Nate, you're next. <laughs> I'll rip into it. We'll get him. Now, you, would, you might never know that five years later, the trouble that comes to bear started five years earlier there. Because that's all he needs. Just And that leads us to the next point. Rules of engagement. Can we have Ephesians chapter 4, please? This is Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. The devil cannot barge into your house, hit you over the head with a club, and take you over. The devil could not go into the garden and overpower Adam and Eve. He had to be invited. He had to be let in. The devil cannot come in and barge into your life. He can knock on your door, but he cannot force his way into your house. He has to be let in. That's important to know because we have a lot of people that blame the devil for a lot of things when he cannot do things he does without permission, your permission. That's why he says don't give opportunity, because if you don't, he doesn't have it. We've been given the power of free will of choice. Nobody can take that away from us. And that's why throughout the Older Testament especially, we see God saying, choose me. We have Elijah standing before all the prophets of Baal saying, if God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. But you have to make a choice. One of the most dangerous parts. Can we have the James chapter 1 verse up, please? Um, This idea, part of warfare is... Uh, is listed here. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to expect that he will receive, uh, but let that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The word doubt is the word double. They have the same root, the two-minded man. And this does not say, if you're a double-minded person, God will not give to you. It says, if you're a double-minded person, you cannot receive anything from the Lord. You're unstable. Was that, I heard the Lord say this, but maybe it wasn't the Lord. But, but then, but that can't be right, because the scripture says this, but, but I know so-and-so, and she died. And, but the Lord said... The double-minded person cannot receive. It's not that God can't give. It's that they can't hear it. They're storm-tossed. So that's why it's so important for us to understand. And we can start off double-minded, but we can direct our minds. We can set our minds. We can do what David did, strengthen ourselves in the Lord, whatever that is. But this is sometimes where permission is given. This is where we can open the door. How do we open the door? How do we give the devil opportunity? Well, through our words. Oh, I think I'm coming down with something. I bet you will. I bet you will. You're ready for it. This isn't about about positive confession, but what it is about is truth. I have a healer. And he's promised to maintain. He's promised to be uh, Yahweh Rafa to me. So it's not, the, it's not just true that the flu is going around. What is completely true is the flu is going around and I have a divine healer. That's the whole truth. So if you're a person who says, oh, you know what, I'm always like this, then guess what, you always will be because with your mouth you're giving place to it. And this is where truth, not just saying the right things, but this is where truth needs to move in and take up authority in you. Actions, things we do. Here's a big one. I've seen it a lot for many, many, many years. Christians who love horror movies. Why? Because I like playing around with fear, I like the feelings of fear. When Jesus specifically and explicitly says, fear not, fear not, fear not, you're talking about spiritual things that you don't understand. Do you ever remember the story of Pandora? Pandora, in Greek mythology, I think, she was given a box where all the evil spirits were in the chest. And they're saying, don't open the chest because all the demons and evil spirits are in the chest. Well, when she opened the chest, they all came out and she couldn't put them back in again. There are things like horror movies and things like that that open and start things that you can't put back in the box. You open and play around with things that aren't in your control, that you do not understand. And beyond that, you're letting something in your house that the members of your house may not be able to handle. So what if you say, Michael, you're front and center, so I'm picking on you. (laughs) Michael might say, you know what? Horror movies do nothing for me. What about Miles? you willing? Well, I don't know. Then are you willing? Are you willing to play with the lives of your children? We had somebody... Our kids were never afraid of the dark. And we had a, a babysitter from the church. Nice young lady came over and... When it was time for bed, she put the kids, they were all in their one bedroom, and she said, she said, do you want me to leave the light on? Are you scared of the dark? They had never heard those words before, scared of the dark. From that point on, the light had to be on, and the door cracked. Because the kids learned from this well-meaning person, being scared of the dark is a something. Now, I don't fault her. Our kids have to work through stuff. I'm just saying that things happen by permission. Things happen by action. Um, there's people open themselves up. And you know what? A horror movie, that's just about the simplest example I can think for believers. Because um, it, back, in the, back in the olden days, there used to be a thing called video stores. And a lot of you people won't remember that because um, it was a place where you went and all the, all the videos were in boxes on the, on the shelves, and you would actually look at them, there was a disproportionate amount of them that were horror and murder-based. And the covers were nasty. And people are drawn to it. Why? There's something about it that draws people into the excitement of fear. Because if I can get you afraid... I can open something in you that you don't understand and you won't understand it and you won't be able to stop it. And if I can't get you, maybe I'll get your child. And there's many such things like that. There's many things we do as adults that we don't realize we think I can handle it but can your child So how is opportunity given? Through words, through actions, through, oh, couldn't read my own writing. Through accepted beliefs. This runs in my family. Oh, this runs in my family. I'll get it. My uncle had it. My Wait, I thought you were born again. Are you born again? So when you mean your family, you mean stretching back to Abraham, right? Through Abraham, your family line consists of Abraham and David and Jeremiah. Jesus has changed your family line. That's what you mean, right? We don't accept that. That's Bible stuff. I'm not really in that group. So we open the door. We leave opportunity through things like this runs in my family. I got a German temper. You aren't German anymore. Yes, I am off-older. And guess what? Italians also have a temper. Germans have a temper. French have a temper. Italians have a temper. Only Canadians don't, I think. Oh, Rich says even that's not true. All right. Well, at least they're nicer. It runs in my family. It runs, I'm this kind of person. Wait, and I don't get it. You're born again. You are a new creation. Oh, yeah, but I don't believe that. Oh, okay, I get it then. Okay, now, that, now I understand. So let's start there. Let's start with some truth about how different you are. You are a new creation. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those who believe in me. They will cast out demons. They will lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover because they actually carry something in them that is not from this place. It's called eternal life. They will speak with new tongues. Great weapon. Fantastic. Beyond what we would have ever asked for. If they drink... If, if they pick up serpents, the serpent will not harm them. And if they drink deadly things, oh, but I'm gluten. I got gluten stuff. <laughs> we can work with you <laughs> if you'll let us. My point being, the new creation has no problems with gluten. But we're dealing with thoughts, and I'm not dismissing them. I'm just saying that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with things Things we think, things we accept. We have a new family tree. What's happened if you let something in your house? Repent and renounce it. Take away your invitation. If something is knocked on your door and you have been tricked into letting it in, then kick it out. But it comes by a confession. It comes by, Father, forgive me. I've opened myself to this. I've let it in. Please forgive me. I turn from that way. And now I speak to the thing and I say, I renounce you. Get out of my house. Now you have God's backing. Because God will back your choice. God will take a stand if you will. Our problem is what we take stands in. Sometimes he doesn't want to stand with us in that. These are rules of the engagement. These are things that are essential to know. And I haven't gotten anywhere near the passage about Ziklag. So we're going to pick this up next week because the Lord said, I I, I just knew. I can't say the Lord said it, but I just knew. I'll just have to see where we can get because these things are too critical. I hate to call them baby basics because baby basics makes it sound like you guys are babies and me. I don't mean it like that. I mean, they're the little basics that without them, everything else crumbles. And they don't need a lot of deep intellectual involvement. It just means somebody has to tell us. Somebody has to teach us. And many people in my generation were taught these things. We used to have things that we call tarrying. Anybody know what tarrying is? Okay. <laughs> and most of you are older, except Donovan, but he's an old soul. Being still, quiet times. We used to have a thing that was called quiet times, but we didn't mean we were quiet in it. It just meant that there was a practice built in. It was drilled into my generation. You spend time with the Lord. It didn't mean you just read your Bible. I, I don't read my Bible every day. Sometimes I don't read my Bible two days in a row. I bet I've gone a week without reading my Bible. But I think my Bible every single day. Yeah, good. This isn't about works. Did you read your Bible today? Did you read your Bible? No. Did you think it? Did you do it? But something I do every day is I spend some time with Him. I take some time. Being still is a practice. Strengthening yourself in the Lord is a practice. We have to have a tougher fiber in us, church. We live in a very difficult time. And there's no such thing as a lazy Christian. The lazy Christians are the ones that are suffering. And I'm telling you, it's going to require some time and some practice. But so does suffering. Suffering also requires time. So we have to choose. How do I want to spend my time? Practicing, learning, learning to get fit, learning how to war effectively, learning how to win in my life. I'll give you a little teaser for next week. Being strong in the Lord, both in 1 Samuel 30 and in Ephesians chapter 6, is not, hey, hang in there. Be strong in the Lord so you can hang in there. Being strong in the Lord is, if somebody's knocking on my door, my daughter Kelly is, knock, is answers her door, and somebody tries to push their way in the house like the meter man. But he's not a meter man. Beware of them, guys. But can you imagine? Kelly's like, uh, no, you can't come in my house. Uh, yeah, but I'm just going to come in. Uh, Jameson. And all of a sudden, the bear <laughs> appears behind Kelly. And all of a sudden, the meter man's like, cool, okay i will come back another day. That's what being strong in the Lord is. It's you making way to bring him into the situation. It's never, never, never about just hanging in there. It is always about union and reverence. It's you being reverent in such a way that honors his presence and welcomes him in. So now it's him at work. Now the thing is not dealing with you Being strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might has nothing to do with you feeling better. It has everything to do with you doing something that ushers in His presence and He does what you and I cannot. That's the warfare you want to be involved with. That's winning. That's what we want. You don't look convinced. It's what we want. And that's what's available and that's what's normal. We don't live in a normal time. That's where we're going. But, for this morning, I just want to take a couple of minutes. Do you need to renounce something? Have you let something in that you want to kick out? A thought? It says, renounce the things hidden because of craftiness and shame. Things that I've let in the door. Thought about my wife thought about Donovan, something I'm hiding, something that makes me, I can't stand to be around you. I love you. I picked you because no one would ever believe it. (laughs) Or I've let this thing in. I've played around with this, and now I'm losing, and I can't turn it around. No, you can't. Pandora's box cannot be undone by you. But there is somebody who can. There's somebody who can, if you will say, get out of my house, get out of my life. Father, I let this thing in. It's my fault, but now I'm renouncing the permission. I want that guy off my couch. Then what you're doing is you're saying, Oh, Jameson, this guy won't get off the couch. Kelly can't make him get off the couch, but Jameson can. That's the life we've been called to. We have a savior, we have somebody who says, I'm your shield, I'm your protector. We don't taste salvation because some of these things have been redefined, like be strong in the Lord. That's been redefined to hang in there. Maybe it'll get better. Put on the helmet, put on the thing. And when you don't get relief, you think the Bible's not true, you think you're not good enough, you think God's not listening or God doesn't do that anymore. That's warfare. Welcome to our life, but there is light. The whole point of this, there are going to be opportunities that are taken away today that will never be given back. Just because, oh, I didn't know. And that's incumbent upon our generation to pass these things on to your generation and not assume that you know what I'm talking about. We're going to tear down walls. Some of those walls start with, I repent. I turn from this thing that I've opened myself up to. The only reason it's winning is because I let it. And then kick it out. Can we do that? Thank you, Father. Father, right now all over this room, we thank you for your presence moving, for you doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. We indeed are intent on being strong in you. In laying hold of our union with you and asking you, Oh Lord, we want things taken out of our house that we've left in. We've let things in that we now can't control and it's our fault and we want to repent. We want to turn from that. And we also no longer, we rescind our permission. We renounce these thoughts. We renounce these things. We renounce these habits. We renounce these practices. We renounce these fascinations with fear. We trust you to be the one who kicks these people, these things out that are in illegally. These are illegal. So we don't stand for it any longer. We turn to you. We call on your name. Help us to move into these things in these next days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let